All right, guys, welcome to episode 11 of the Signal to Noise podcast. It is One Louder, and we are here to talk about the 25th anniversary of the Ibanez RG series. With me tonight is Sean. Sean, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good. How you doing? Good, man. Good, man. Thanks for joining me here tonight, especially this late hour. No problem. All right, so we're going to talk about Ibanez and uh, the RG series and I guess kind of the impact it's had. So let's kick it off with the history here. So, um, Sean, I was telling you earlier, like, I didn't realize how old the Hashino Corporation was. So, for those of you who don't know, Ibanez is not the Ibanez Corporation. It started as the Hoshino Corporation. And the Hoshino Corporation started back in the 19th century, um, like, like the end of the 19th century, as a bookstore. Right. Right? That blows my mind. That blows my mind to start as a bookstore and then end up as a guitar store. Yeah, that was around 1908 when they started importing uh, uh, guitars from a guy named Salvador Ibanez from Spain. That's crazy. And then, wasn't it one of the sons who said, hey, why don't we start making our own? Mm-hmm. Now, I'd be curious to know more about that. I'd like to know like, if they started like kind of from scratch. Did they bring Salvador over? Like, how did they acquire the brand? Or also, I mean, one of my favorite acoustic brands is made there, Yamaha. Was that going on at the time? Like, did, did somebody from Yamaha help them out, or did they help Yamaha? I'd love to know more about that. I have. You know, I, I honestly don't know. Um, you know, I know they bought the Ivan Salvador naming rights, and they started making acoustic guitars in 1935. And then later they changed the name. And they used to use, like, Ibanez Salvador was the brand name. Then they just shortened it to Ibanez. Okay. That's crazy, right? So then 1935, you're saying they're doing pretty good. Of course, 1940s, World War II hits. Japan's war-torn, like every other country involved in the war. Um, All production of non-essential items stopped. So the Shino Corporation had to stop making guitars. And they had to make things like wooden handles. And do whatever else. Um, the father shuts down the factory. All his sons are at war. They were all, you know, drafted. The factory's blown up. Everything's destroyed. The war ends. All four sons come back, and so they start back up again. I think that's a that's an amazing story right there. I mean, you know, had they not been the brand that we knew today, it'd still be an amazing story. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, it's well, you know, even before the the uh, one of the reasons why the Oshina Corporation bought the naming rights was because, you know, it wasn't even, you know, before that with the Spanish Civil War, that destroyed Salvador Ibanez's workshop. So they couldn't get the guitars anymore. That's why they started making their own. And then, like you said, with the world, you know, so two wars actually affected, you know, Ibanez guitars. That's amazing. You know, and that that's persistence. Oh yeah. All right, so they we, we get into the sixties and seventies. They start making electric guitars and they get very adept at copying American guitars and making copies that are better than the American guitars that are being put out at the time. Oh yeah. You know, and I I told you, like the, the guitar that I love is the lawsuit guitar. That's that's how it's referred to. And if you ever see a picture of it, it looks identical to a Les Paul. Exactly. It was like, you know, they were getting sued by everyone for copying everyone. And, you know, they that's when they started introducing all their really weird shit guitars, like the Iceman. 
Yeah, I love the Iceman. And the Ibanez Roadstar, which, you know, the RG series, RG stands for Roadstar Guitar. And it's hard to believe that the RG came out of the Roadstar. Because you remember, I mean, I'm sure you remember the Roadstars. Didn't, um, was it Mike McClough that had one? Yeah. Yeah, and I hated those guitars. <laughs> I, I, at that point, I hated the look. I'm like, oh my goodness, these guitars are junk. And then, was it, I guess it's what, 87 hits? And that's when Ibanez becomes the company that we know. Yeah. It was uh, late 80s, early 90s, and then, you know, it was when they started their relationship with Steve Vai, and he made The Gem, and then later The Universe. The RG series, as we know it today, is actually just the lower-priced version of The Gem. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, did you read anything on, on like, the, the relationship, how that started with Steve Vai? No. All right, so this is a fun story, because apparently... You know, at the time, Steve Vai became a very hot property, right? He was uh, fresh out of Zappa. He ha- had his solo album, and he was playing with David Lee Roth. So you play with David Lee Roth. You're as just adept of a guitarist as Eddie Van Halen is. You're the next big thing. Of course, everybody wants a piece of you, right? They want to get in on, on this this party, right? So everybody is trying to make a guitar for Steve Vai. Everybody. They're all trying to to, to court him to get things. And so he said, he's, you know, he says flat out, he's like, I just started throwing out demands that I figured nobody could meet. You know, he's like, I didn't want to be a jerk. He's like, but I had already tried all these different guitars. I already knew what they could put out. Everybody's just bringing me the same stuff, but like with a special paint job. He said, Ibanez was the first company that came to him and actually listened. And it was everything he requested. Everything he requested, they did. And he was blown away. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's. No doubt. I mean, he's one of the best guitar guitarists out there. You're gonna give him what he wants. But it, I, I think I find it funny that nobody else did that, and then Ibanez did, and look, look how it changed the brand. Oh yeah. You know. So and then with all the other models that came out after that, you know, you know the S series, yep. and Joe Satriani series, and you know, and everyone was using Ibanez back in the '90s. Well, that's just it. You know, I mean, like it really became the iconic brand. So, like, when did you first discover Ibanez? Wow. Uh, It was when I was guitar lessons. My guitar teacher at the time, he had one of the 550s, and he was like, here, you got to check this out. I think I was using a Black Kramer Striker at the time. Okay, the Woody. Yeah, yeah. And he had, you know, he let me play his, uh, his Ibanez. You know, it was a desert yellow... 550, you know, they had different RG series back then. The 550 was the one that looked exactly like the gem, but without the little monkey handle. And uh, played it, and, like, the neck was amazing. I mean, it was unfinished. It was so thin, you could just move across it effortlessly. And, you know, and then I'm like, oh, I got to get one of these. And then after months of begging my parents to, you know, let me get one, so I had just gotten, you know, the Kramer was only, I only had for about a year or two years. And I think what sold the fact was the fact that my brother snapped the headstock off. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it came me from snapping his head off. The, uh, well, I mean, the Ivan as, as, a, as a birthday present. I forgot about the headstock thing. <laughs> <clears throat> and, as a, again, as a testament to Ibanez, you still have that guitar. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's missing some paint <laughs> and some pieces of wood here and there. But, you know, the next, like, several thousand different colors. I think there's some blood in there somewhere and dirt and whatnot. But, yeah, I still have it, still use it. That's why it's got to be. That had to have been 80, 90, so 22 years. Yeah, at least 20. Minimum 20. That's amazing. I think I got it. It was the summer. Yeah, it was summer of 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 ninety that I got it. So yeah, twenty two years. Wow. Yeah, and it, and it's funny just how one change really set the brand off. Because I mean, I remember the Roadstar. I hated them. I thought they were the ugliest thing in the world. Oh yeah. You know? And then when they came out with the RG, you know, it was more than just a super strack. Because you had like Charvel and Jackson, that were just copying strats. You know that's that's all they did. They put a fancy headstock on it. It was a strat. Kramer was doing the same basic thing, and Ibanez really redesigned the guitar from the ground up. You know. Yeah, oh yeah, and that's when you started getting like the the two octave, you know, fingerboards, the the iconic Ibanez headstock that yep. you see now. You know the higher output electronics. You know, it's, you know, that headstock, I mean, I, I love that headstock. I mean, it's, you know, just the way it's shaped and and whatnot. But it, it's just like, you know, you see it, you know, that's an Ibanez. So, funny story about that that headstock. I was actually just doing laundry yesterday, and um, my daughter, she's one, she has a, like a little onesie that has a guitar on it. Because, of course, you know, since I'm a guitarist, everybody who gets my children clothing, they always get guitar-based clothing, which I love. And um, I remember when she got this particular one I was washing yesterday, everyone's like, look, it's a guitar. I said, well, it's not just a guitar. I said, look at the headstock. That's an Ibanez. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's, it's exactly an Ibanez. Like, they, they took out, you can't quite make out the lettering, but it's even got the little check mark kind of swoosh. Right. You know, right in there, and, and that's you know, like you said, it's instantly recognizable. Like, no, no, it's an Ibanez. It doesn't need to say Ibanez. That's an Ibanez headstock. You know. Yeah, I mean, and then you know, it just uh, the RG body is so, you know, it's got the pointed ends, and, and you know, it's just so. Again, you, you you instantly know it's an Ibanez. Well, what's nice about your RG? Is again like it, you've got that essential or that I guess that basic strat shape as the starting point, right? But it's so much more accessible. You had the double octave neck, so you got the twenty four frets, and then just even the scoops with the points and stuff. It, there's room to get your hands in there. Oh yeah, you know, like every everything about it. It was it was it, it was the ultimate hot rod guitar, you know. And nobody's really improved on that in the last twenty five years, if you think about it. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, in, you, know, you could tell that you know a lot of Steve Vai's input even made it down to the lower end. Oh, geez, yeah. You know, I mean, you're, you're 550. Like, the 550 series, of course, I mean, like, you have things like the gems and the universes that will always stand out in people's mind. But that original 550 series... They they need to get back to that because there is still nothing as good as solid as that series was, especially for the money. Oh yeah, yeah. you know I think when I got it, you know obviously you know they always give you like you know the eight hundred thousand dollar list price and then sell it you know all the stores just to make you think you're getting a deal. Yeah. So I think I got I paid 
ironically right around 550 600 for it <laughs> and then you know almost 20 years later i bought an rg 470 uh and it, it it's still a great guitar but it, it it wasn't the same you know they made some changes to the neck um you know and again the 470 is a little bit of a it wasn't yeah it, it, it differences like you didn't have the pick garden and had the, the rosewood instead of the maple and so you got a different sound out of it but you know i could tell definitely like a difference in the guitar yeah and, and you know it's funny I, I, i'm glad that you bring up the, the fact of the maple because that was something that a lot of manufacturers didn't like doing at the time Mm-hmm. Especially guitar manufacturers, like bass manufacturers, would do it because because of, of the tone. But that maple, especially that unfinished maple, it gives the guitar a bite and a presence you're not going to get out of a rosewood neck. Right. You know, it's going to cut through. You have a completely different tone than you get with a rosewood neck. Oh yeah, I mean it's you know part of the reason why I bought the 470. I mean I, I I didn't have a rosewood in that guitar, and that was one of the things I liked about it. That and the fact that you know I was tired. I didn't want the you know at that point the 550 was getting close to. Wow, well, yeah, getting close to 15, 16 years old, and yeah. I didn't want to. You know, I was tired of taking it out. I believe me, I hear you on that one. How about some iconic Ibanez guitars? What, what, what are the Ibanez guitars that stand out most in your mind? The guitars? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've got, you know, the Iceman. On, honest, obviously, that that very interesting shape. Um, you know, the Universe. You know, and there's two. I mean, there's the different models of the universe too. I mean, you had the intergalactic puke model. That's my favorite. And then the the one now that you know I guess has been around forever is you know has his little pyramid inlay at the base of the guitar. Yeah. Um, and then you know that was one of the first seven string guitars that were mass produced was you know by the RGs and and the universe. All right, so let's come back to the universe in a minute because that that brings up an interesting point. So I, I gotta agree with the, um, the the Iceman, and I almost like I equate the Iceman with two different players with a with Paul Stanley, and then um, who's the who is who played for Rob Zombie because one of them oh John Five no 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 it was I guess it was still been Rob like White Zombie oh wow. You know, you know where I'm going with this because Sean Yusalt was the bass player. Yeah, and then yeah, number the guitarist. He always had an Ibanez. He always had an Ibanez on him. You know, it was always the Iceman. Yeah, some other you know noticeable Ibanez guitars was uh, the Red Beach model. Oh yeah, with the F holes. That well, no, that was Paul Gilbert. Red Beach. Oh, sorry. <laughs> has like the RG but like from behind the pickup they just cut out that so it kind of looked like a pair of scissors or something <laughs> it's uh yeah it never took off I think I saw one person other than him playing it and I think it was given to him by Red Beach but Red Beach had that signature guitar that was out briefly you know I don't think that design really kind of took off do you remember which one I'm talking about 
I know. I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, it looks just like an RG, and then what they did was they kind of, from the 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 bridge, you know, the they would they would cut. It was gone. It would, it would cut out. So the um oh wow. I mean, that's how obscure that one was. <laughs> Alright, so is it Red Beach or Paul Gilbert? Which one are we doing? Red Beach had the, the cutout. And then Paul Gilbert had the F-holes. Okay. And Paul Gilbert's current one, isn't that like a um, almost like a reverse Iceman? Yeah, it kind of looks like that. Oh! Oh my, yes. Now, I, I just saw it. I, I googled it real quick. I know exactly what you're talking about. Man, I totally forgot about that. Well, yeah, it was cut out right behind the trim, because because it, yeah. it and on the way they did it, it almost looked like the bodies of um, when they would try to put a body on a Steinberger. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I totally forgot about that. Huh? Well, that's sure neat. All right. There was that one, and then uh, the HR Geiger signature ones were oh, great. I love those. Those are awesome. All right, so let's come back to the universe. So, do you remember this the the poster series that they did in was it Guitar for the Practicing Musician to introduce the universe? Yeah. Was that three issues or four issues to do that? It's three issues. So three issues, they introduce the seven string, it comes out in intergalactic puke, still my favorite color, <laughs> and it flopped. Yeah. That was the best part. It died. Nobody cared. It wasn't until Korn really kind of came around and music started changing that seven strings really took off again. Yeah, and that cracks me up, because if you think about it, the... Um, the universe would have would have debuted what I think nineteen ninety. Ninety. That's when Passion and Warfare came out. Okay. That's when you know what he, you know, because there was a couple people. George Lynch was trying to make a seven string at the time. He was trying to go for a high high A instead of a, a yeah. low E. That never really went anywhere, and then. Uh, you know, Steve Vai comes out with the universe. And part of the reasons why I think it flopped was because it wasn't accessible at the time. Yeah. I mean, because... They make a RG seven-string until after Korn made them popular. Yeah, because I think the, the cheapest universe was probably a grand or better, right? No, it was more than that. It was getting closer to two. Wow. Okay. And then even now, I mean, the universe now is about $2,000. And then... Uh, but that one, you know, it wasn't until after Corn where you started seeing people. You know, the first time I ever saw uh, a universe other than someone buy, you know, locally was, you know, right around 98. So that was, you know, other than that, it was always just the, the RG seven strings, which were even hard to find. You know, you always had to special order them or whatnot. Yeah. Now you can go into Guitar Center and they'll have one or two of them sitting there. But it wasn't until, you know, part of the reason why I think it flopped the first time back in 90 was there wasn't an affordable version of it. Yeah. 
You know, but, and and it's yeah, funny. I would have bought one then if you know was affordable as it is now. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd still love one in intergalactic puke because that's my favorite color. I just I love that crazy color. But it's funny because if you think about it, ninety it comes out, it flops, so it hits the used market, and you're right, it was probably what closer to two grand when it was brand new. So it gets down to a grand on the used market, and that's when Head and Monkey buy theirs. They're saving up, putting these things on layaway. Then the first Corn album comes out in 94. So four years later, they start putting the universe to use in a way that Steve Vai certainly had never imagined. You know, And it was funny because in that four years, Ibanez almost dropped off. You remember mm-hmm. that? Like, like they almost dropped out. And then when Corn came out, it was a completely new resurgence, and they're back on top. Yep. It, it, it just blows me away, the resilience of this company and their ability to reinvent themselves. Well, that's what you got to do. I mean, you know, I'm even looking on eBay right now for a universe, and they have a 1991 lime green universe with the multicolor pyramid inlays on it and it's going for five grand. Wow. Whereas the standard universe, the U V seven seven seven, about sixteen hundred. That's not bad. The seven seven sevens was was when they started doing the anniversary series, right? I believe so. So now you've got me going out to eBay. Here's a, someone selling a body. It's an unfinished Ibanez Red Beach Gem Hybrid. So it's like Red Beach's guitar with the monkey handle. Nice, nice. I'm surprised how many unfinished Ibanez bodies there are. Did you see all these? Oh, yeah. The monkey grip, and it's even got the route out for the routers for the low pro Ibanez. Man, I'm impressed. Huh. Whoops. Okay. Some there. Yeah, some cool stuff. All right, so players. Like, we know Steve Vai is probably one of the most iconic players that's out there. Um, Joe Satriani. Who else? Who's another iconic player? Oh, you got Paul Gilbert, John Petrucci, uh, Monkey and Head, you know, Paul Stanley. Uh, you know uh, who else Dino from Fear Factory I forgot about Dino he had one of the prototype 8 string guitars wow Marty Freeman you know even like you know last you know Mike Mushrock from Stained. You know, so there's, you know, those are the big ones. I mean, I think, you know, back in the 90s, all the Shredders, everyone was playing Ibanez at that point. Well, you know who else played the Ibanez that I don't think anybody remembers anymore? Stanley Jordan. Okay, no, I definitely didn't remember that. Yep, forgot that one. Um, Somebody else on the alternative scene. Dave Navarro. 
Oh, yeah. Dave Navarro always had Ivan as in James Addiction or whatnot. Yeah, he was always playing the RG series. And then, yeah, and that's still when he had, when he had his, um, oh, the hippie hair. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he kind of did the dreadlocks and stuff. Mm-hmm. The hippie hair. Somebody's going to send me hate mail for that one. But, um, you know, he had the dreads and, like, he never saw his face. And then it seemed as soon as he cut his hair, he went to Paul Reed Smith. Right. And then I, I think a lot of people forget about the Ibanez. But even if you go and you look on Ibanez's website, like everyone, you know, all the artists, you know, the artist, and then, um, you know, with signature models, it's endless. <laughs> going there right now. But, you know, Paul Gilbert, Rocky George from Suicidal Tendencies, he always used an RG also. Man, I forgot about that. He was a heck of a player. He's an underrated player. He, he oh. doesn't get the credit he deserves. All right, so let's talk about some of the other products that Ibanez was famous for. Um, one of them what? being the TS-808 and the TS-9. Uh, yeah, Tube Screamers. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny because I, I didn't think anything of the Tube Screamers. Um I remember hearing people using them all the time and the term transparent distortion. Right. I never got it. Never understood that. Yeah, I did. I did. You know, I had a tube screamer, but I the model I had, oh, I think, oh, what was it? I had, oh, I don't even remember what model it was, but it wasn't one of the popular models. You know, it was... Was yours the 10? I want to say it was the TS-10. Yeah, I think it was. It was one of the ones where they tried experimenting with something and it didn't really fly with everyone. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I bought that. I'm like, I, you know, it was like one of those things like I don't see what the big deal is and I just kind of got rid of it immediately. <laughs> All right, so the TS9, you know, I, I've been reading everything where you always hear like transparent distortion, transparent distortion. Um, that's why Steve Ray Vaughn used one. You always hear about that transparent distortion. I had no idea what in the world that means. But again, in my defense, I'm a bass player. Right, right. You know, so I don't use a lot of distortion. I did other crazy effects. So they put out the 30th anniversary. Did you Have you seen this yet? No. It is the Green Lantern of effects pedals. Like okay. it is this bright emerald green. The um, the knobs are all transparent. Everything like it's it's gorgeous. Like it's really really a great looking pedal. So I see it in magazine ads. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I got to check one of these out. So I I told you earlier this year. You know I was in California, right? And I go to a guitar center late at night because my my friend I was traveling with she was getting a tattoo, and so I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go hit the guitar center. So I walk in, it's close to close, they let me in, and I sit down and play the TS-9. And it was the first time I heard I heard and understood the transparency thing. <laughs> because I sit down, I put the pedal in, I've got a standard Strat, maple fingerboard, just the way I like, single coil pickup, and you know how wimpy a single coil pickup sounds, and as right. soon as I hit that pedal, it beefs it up. Like, you get a little bit of drive, but it mostly just beefs up the sound. You get tone to it. And I'm like, son of a gun, this is great. So then, like, you know, you're doing single notes, 
And the single note tone is like that classic 70s sound that you hear. Like if you think about the Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park movie when they're doing sound check. For right. anybody else who's seen that, they'll, this will kick in. But it's that sound. And I couldn't get over this tone. And then when you hit a chord, you get that nice, really subtle distortion, that just extra full drive. So I, I ended up buying it that night, right? I bought it. And I'm like, man, this pedal sounds great. It's limited edition. And I've got it right here in my hand. It's the 30th anniversary. Mine is number 22. So, yeah, I don't know how to how many, but I was excited that it was number 22. Um. But so here's the best part of this pedal, right? So I love this thing. It sounds great. We're trying to get home. And I don't know if I ever told you the whole ordeal of trying to get home. So we're, uh, we're out in Folsom, California. And yes, I did visit Folsom Prison. Whole other story. Another <laughs> podcast. Um, but so we're out in Folsom, California. We're trying to drive into Sacramento because that's the, you know, the airport. You, you fly in and out of there. So we're driving in, traffic starts slowing down. I hear some something on the radio that said something about a shooting or a carjacking. I'm like, what in the world? Long story short, there was a carjacking at some some point in the morning. I think the guy ended up even like stealing a tractor and trying to drive that. Like it was crazy stuff, right? So they shut down all the highways. They drive everybody into the road that we're taking to the airport. Right. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, we had just moved our flights up early to try and get home early because they were letting us out early. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, we're going to miss this flight. So we're trying to get get through. Like, I've got, like, my maps program up on my phone looking for alternate routes. I find this little access road. I get to the airport. We are running through airport security. We get there. Luckily, I found out later our flight crew was actually behind us, so I was good. <laughs> but um, so we go through there, and... You know, I'm putting my, I had the, the pedal was in my carry-on bag because it didn't have a box. I didn't want it to get scratched up, you know. So it's in my bag. We're going through security. All of a sudden, I see the security lady who's checking the um, the x-rays. I, I hear, sir, sir. And, and if you look, you see this little bead of sweat start to form on her on her forehead. And she's like, we need to talk. And she's got the like my effects pedal in her hand. I said, well, it's a guitar pedal. She's like, no, 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 you need to come over here. And I, I can't figure out what the big deal is. I'm like, it's a guitar pedal. Like, like it's, it's nothing fancy. And then I turned, and I saw the x-ray. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know where I'm going with this. All you see are wires connected to a battery. Wow. I can just imagine what this poor lady is thinking, right? Seeing this on the x-ray, she has got to be just, just going crazy. Like, oh my goodness, this is the big one, you know? And right. so she takes me out, she's like, and I said, it's an effects pedal. I said, I can take the battery. I said, no, 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 you have to come over here and talk to this gentleman. So she takes me and my effects pedal over to the other gentleman. He he looks at the pedal, looks up at me, smiles, says, you're fine, and <laughs> sends me through. But this poor woman working the x-ray, she you could just tell she was panicked. She had no idea what she was up against. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that was me getting this pedal home from California. It didn't come with a box. No, they didn't have the. It was the, it was the last one. It was a display. They didn't have it. Oh, hopefully, you got a discount on it then. Ah, uh, you know what? They they were pretty good about it. Like I said, I I know they knocked something off, and I, I know they also knocked some money off a t shirt for me as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they took care of me. I gotta say, they they were they were a heck of a staff at that. I think it was the Roseville Guitar Center out there. They really took care of me. They were they were really nice. Like I said, I came in. I was like their last customer. It was the closing time. 
they let me get plug in, play, just kind of try the pedal out. That was definitely, definitely uh, worth it. Definitely worth it. <clears throat> All right. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, go know, ahead. The tube screamer, I had one, you know, I but you know, I made the mistake of, you know, in my ignorance buying the T S ten, which was when they tried reinventing the tube screamer and it sucked, so I just got rid of it. You know, it's like I kept reading everyone's using the tube screamer and everything, so I'm like, all right, I'll try one out. Not realizing there was different models and you know, the only one that the music store in the area had at the time was a TS ten. And I played it, plugged it in, tried using it a few times. I'm like, this really doesn't do anything, and I got rid of it. I'm curious, did you get that in McVeigh or pianos and stuff? Uh, that would have been McVeigh. That's what I thought. They always had an interesting array of pedals. I think there's actually some good mods for the TS-10 now. Yeah. Wish I would... Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are. See, I don't have any of my pedals anymore. It's all, you know, the Digitech, but that's a different story. That's a whole other podcast, actually. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> we can have a great time talking about that. <clears throat> I, and you know what's funny? Like, I would have totally gone the same route if they would make a bass multi-effects pedal that did what guitar multi-effects pedals do. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, it's funny because people get the, get the rackier crap nowadays. The rackier still sounds awesome. And there's so much you can do with it, you know? Like, I wanted rack gear. I wanted one pedal to do it all. And the, just the bass pedal manufacturers have yet to realize that don't limit my stuff. Make it work just like the pedal. Just put it all in one package. That's all I want. Yep. You know? All right, man. So we're keeping this one one short and sweet to get this out. So anything else you want to add or wrap up about Ibanez in the 30th anniversary? Uh, uh, of the Tube Screamer? No, nah, anything, man. Any, any of the guitars. Like I think, I think we've hit the Tube Screamer. What about... Uh, well, you know what, what I want to talk about? The colors. The colors oh, back in yeah. 87. That was one thing with the RGs. Like, back then, you know, they always had the, the bright neon, you know, colors. They weren't, you know... You couldn't get a black one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it was always the desert yellow or the real bright red and the, and the laser blue, which was always my favorite. They had the best colors. Like, they're they're just, I mean, they're really eye candy, you know. And, and they did them better than anybody else because there are all kinds of companies trying to do those colors, but nobody did them like Ibanez did. No. Oh, you know what? What's funny? Do you remember? Well, I'm sure you remember the West Tone brand. Um, but do you remember when West Tone was doing the guitars that were not just red, but the whole flipping thing was red? Like they took a maple maple neck, but they painted the maple fingerboard red. Like the whole thing was. It looked like they basically dipped it in a vat of red paint. You remember those? Yeah. yeah. So how about I'm at my local store here in Butler, uh, Fidoli's. I walk in a couple weeks ago. And um, I'm walking to the back. I'm like, holy cow. He has one of those old red West tones. Oh, wow. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like, I haven't seen one in a while. And we're talking about it. I said, whoa. I said, I haven't seen this in a while. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's an older one. I said, this has got to be at least, 
you know, 87 or older. And he looks at me, and and he, and him and I have talked a bunch of times. He's done work for me on my other guitars. I just bought a guitar from him recently. And he starts smiling. He's like, you're older than I realize, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, just a little bit. I'm like, this is this for my teen years. Yeah, but I mean... You remember, like, the Ibanez catalogs? Like, we would wait every year to get the new catalog to see what the new colors were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing I miss about the late 80s, is the fact that it was okay to have loud colors. Yep. You know, yep. everything now is different shades of gray and black. You know, how dark or can you get? colors. Yes. You know, you can still... Yeah, you can still get some of the of the crazy colors, but they're not as, you know... That's the thing. Like, you know, you look at some of them now, and they're always... They're not as vibrant as they used to be. Because the S-Series, too, I mean, you know, you mentioned 25th anniversary of the RG. It's also the 25th anniversary of the S. Yes. And those are always, you know, great guitars. I love the thinness of them. Um, But, you know, those were a little more... The colors on the S guitars weren't as vibrant as the RG's. Yeah, and a lot of that also comes, you know, from Steve Vai. You know, he was always very colorful. Yes, and loud, no matter what exactly. it was. Yeah, and you know, you bring up a good point with the S. I forgot it was the twentieth anniversary of the or twenty fifth anniversary of the S as well. I mean, man, those S guitars. I don't know, like, I mean, if you think about it, they did what Parker Flies tried to do before Parker Fly did it. Hmm. You know, I mean, those those things were so stinking thin, so light, and you you put that thin, wide neck. The body's thin. It's it's like you're playing balsa wood. Yeah. You know. But you know what? You got some. You know, Alex Skolnick. You know, that's he used those all the time. He was always using the S guitars in, in Testament. I forgot he was an S player. That's right. And, you know, I remember. You know. After I got the the five fifty going down to pianos and stuff and playing the S, I'm like, wow, I want one of these now. And, <laughs> you know, is you know, I still haven't gotten an S. I, you know, probably will eventually. But you know, they they went away for a while though. Yeah, you know, they they were harder to find at, at certain points. It's funny, like um. Do you remember the Ergodyne series? I think this was just with the um, with the bases. But do you remember those? Which ones? The Ergodyne. Oh, vaguely. And so this was still one of the ugliest bass guitars I think I've ever seen. Uh, like, it, it was crazy. Like, like the the body shape was weird. It was supposed to be like ergonomically correct. That's the whole point of the Ergodyne. I I can't figure out what part it was supposed to be ergonomically correct. It looked to me like they just put a base and just carved out some stuff on it. Said, hey, we'll make this part lower and there. It's ergonomically correct. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, that that's one of the ones where I didn't quite get on board. <clears throat> but I gotta say, like base wise, Ibanez has not always been as successful, we'll say, as with her guitars. Yeah, I mean I remember you tried, you know, the you know, they had the S bases or whatever, but they are the, you know, bases that were similar. I remember you tried a couple of those and, and not liking them. And I wanted to. That was the worst part. I really wanted to like them. You know, although you know which one I I still like and I actually have one right now, um the BTB series. Right. And and with the BTB, they did what they did with 
the um, in my opinion at least, they did what they did you know, with the gem and the RG series. They they built the better mousetrap, you know, because you figure like the um, they 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 had their roadstar that was like an exact copy of the RG series, and so that was kind of cool for a while, but it just wasn't quite there. Then they have the um, the Sound Gear series, the SR, and that's what Fieldy plays, and those have just kind of been eh, lackluster in my opinion, but that's a whole other thing. And the BTB series, they extended the horns, they really thought about the sound of the bass. You know, you've got four individual bridges on my bass, and it's a PZO pickup, and just, they really thought about how everything worked. It's one of the best sounding Ibanez basses, you know, feel-wise, sound-wise, player-wise, everything about it like i really love it yeah yeah it's you know you know the bases you know but I, I, I remember back then the most popular one were, were the srs everyone was playing an sr and and to a point where it actually got started getting a little bit cliched yeah um same thing with the rgs everyone was playing the rgs back in the 80s and the 90s but i remember all the local bands every bass player had an sr yeah and you know they had the exact same colors that the RGs had and, and whatnot. Yeah, and then you remember when they they went like that walnut wood color for a yeah. while, like in the late nineties. Like everything looked like Fielder's bass. Yeah. And there I am playing my P bass. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! Well, again, that's probably a whole other episode. <clears throat> All right, man. So I guess let's close this thing out. Cool. Thanks again for doing this, guys. And then until next time, make some noise. See ya.